This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hi there, it's Megan Mitchell from Agents of Change. Thanks for checking out my podcast. If you enjoy the content, please check out my ASWB test prep courses for the bachelor's, master's, and clinical exams. Each Agents of Change course includes more than 30 key topics that closely match the ASWB KSA content areas. Our content is great for both auditory and visual learners and includes video walkthroughs, supplemental materials, hundreds of practice questions, and twice monthly live study groups with me. You can learn more and get 10 free practice questions at agentsofchangeprep.com. Hello, this is Megan Mitchell from Agents of Change Test Prep, and this is one of our monthly study groups, but this time, obviously, it looks a little different. This is a pre-recorded session um, due to the holidays. I know people have different schedules, and you may or may not be with family, so I wanted to give you the time to view this um, whenever it works for you. And similarly to our past sessions, I'm going to go over some things and then I will end with three practice questions at the end. However, I'm not going to go over content today, but I'm going to go over some strategies on something that's really important. Um, We're going to be talking about test anxiety and motivation throughout your studying. And this is a question I get a lot from people. So I wanted to take the time to address it and give you some tips for how to manage anxiety and also some tips for powering through your studying because when you're studying for this exam, it can be really hard to maintain motivation. So I'm gonna give you some tips for how to conquer or at least become in control of that test anxiety. Um, I'll give you some tips. And remember, anxiety levels are different for everyone. Some people are going to have more test anxiety. It's going to be more debilitating, um, where others might just be more natural test takers. So know that it's different for everyone and just to know yourself and your body. Um, and then lastly, motivation levels are also different based on um, from person to person. So if you have someone that you know that is super motivated and you're not experiencing that same motivation, that's okay. Everyone is motivated by different things. So you got to find what works for you and dig deep. So let's first jump into test anxiety. This is a hard test. It's going to bring some sort of feelings of anxiety to some level. Some people might be feeling much more in control of the anxiety where others might find that it's really hard to control this test anxiety. So what does test anxiety look like? It's going to be those common anxiety symptoms. So this might be when you're actually sitting down to take the test or when you're approaching test questions, you might feel your body starting to respond in a certain way. So you might start experiencing some physical symptoms. Your stomach might hurt. You might... um, You might be feeling like you're sweating, um, you know, back of your neck starts to get um, a little bit wet. Your palms might be sweating. You, some people hold stress in their jaw, so you might be clenching your jaw, clenching your hands, and your heart might start to race. Different for everyone. Um, Know your body, know what anxiety looks like in your body and what it looks like when you're testing. 
Um, Another big thing that goes along with test anxiety is it affects our memory. So you might feel like when you are very anxious and you're approaching certain parts of the test that you feel like you're not able to think clearly. Like definitely has happened to me many, many, many times. You go to sit down and take the test and you feel like your mind's going blank. So these are these are just some things that might manifest for you. And they're important to be in control of because you don't want to get to the test on test day and your anxiety completely takes over and hijacks your ability to do your best. So this is something that you want to be assessing as you study. Um, Many, many, many people have not passed this test due to test anxiety. So you want to find techniques to be able to manage it. So I'm going to give a few just like basic things that you can do to keep your anxiety in check. Um, first thing, very simple, you can engage in mindfulness or meditation, and this can be whatever practice will work for you. So each time you sit down to study, make sure your head space is clear and you're in a calm and grounded, uh, head space. So what you might do, this is something that I started doing closer to exam date was I kind of used guided meditation in my head. I would close my eyes. I would take a few deep breaths and find a relaxation technique that would get me in the mode to be even begin studying and approaching testing questions. This is going to be different for everyone. So find a technique that works for you. Some people actually find YouTube videos of some meditation. Um, Some people do some guided mindfulness. There's tons of apps out there. There's tons of things on your phone or on the internet that you can use. Um, You might, like I said, you might be using some breathing techniques. You might be using some guided imagery. Some people use a mantra. So maybe you have some positive words of encouragement to yourself that you want to start with every time. Find what works for you. Find what's going to ground you. um, And be sure that you're practicing this regularly. You don't want to just start a mindfulness or meditation um, practice the day of the exam and then your body's not used to it or or you're not used to it. So make sure whatever you are choosing to do, whether that be mindfulness or deep breaths or mantra, practice that before you take the exam. It's important that you'll have practice of these skills before you get into exam day where your anxiety is going to be even higher than normal. Another important thing, and this is it throughout your studying journey, is to listen to your body and mind. You Only you will know when you're starting to get burnt out, and when you're burnt out, we're not our best selves. Um, If you find yourself in studying becoming unfocused or you're not retaining information, it's time to take a break. It is okay to take a break. I know sometimes we feel guilty for taking breaks or we feel like we need to commit to an all-day study session. Know your body. If it's just not a day that you know is going to be helpful for you, that's okay. Give yourself some some grace. Give yourself some leniency. But when you start to – also, I always tell people, try and be in tune with your body when you're studying. Like, does your mind start to wander? Do you start to worry? Do you start to um, just kind of skim through? Are you not understanding what the reading's saying? Everyone's going to be different. For me, it was I would be reading, 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 and couldn't remember anything that I had just read. So that was a signal to me that it is time to take a break, um, come back when I'm fresh mentally and physically. Self-care, self-care, self-care. Self-care is essential, especially during the studying time. Um, You need to take care of yourself. I mean, also in 2020, it has been a very tough year. So you need to be able to take care of your your mind and your body. 
um, set aside a time for set some time aside for self care. So even if this is just before bed or when you wake up, even just a few minutes can really recharge you and go a long way. And remember um, why self care is so important is because if our, if our mind and our body is not well, we're not going to perform our best. We want to be at full capacity. We want to be at a hundred percent to be able to dominate this test and test it. Those are just some basic techniques you can use. But like I said, always be mindful of how anxiety or stress or burnout is looking for you and be um, take note of that. Find what things work for you, what things calm you down, what things are motivating to you. I also now here have some tips to help you prior to taking the exam. Actually, some tips also as you're going through the exam. And this might help ease that anxiety a little bit. You want to you want to be able to feel as comfortable as possible on test day. There's very few people I've ever encountered that felt like they were so calm, cool, and collected on test day. It's a big exam. You're sitting for four hours testing knowledge. It's physically exhausting. It's mentally exhausting. So your an- adrenaline and your anxiety is going to be higher than on, you know, at other times. People always say too, I did so much better on the practice exam than I did on the real test. Test day is a very different environment. Practice tests you can take in your house. Um, You're not in the testing facility and you, you know that it's a practice test. So just be mindful. The test day scenario is probably going to be a little bit more high stakes and it's going to be a little bit more stressful. That's just how it is. That shows that this test matters to you and you care about it. That's why we get anxious about things. We want to be successful. So here are a few tips. The first one is to put things in perspective. This is a four-hour test, and for many people, it's a very important test. However, you need to remind yourself it's not the end of the world, and your the rest of your life does not hinge on these four hours. Of course, you want to pass. Of course, you want to be successful. But if that is not the case, you can take it again. You can take it again. Um, So you want to try your very best. You want to leave it all out there in those four hours. Be confident in your abilities. Find that confidence. um, But also put things into perspective. This is four hours of your life. Second thing, remind yourself of past successes. You have a degree. You have gone through grad school. That alone is a success. And I think it can be easy to lose perspective of that, especially when you're hearing other people that might have failed, you might have failed yourself, or other people might have been very successful on the, te- on the test. Um, bring to the table your past successes. You have been very successful in many things throughout your life you can absolutely be successful at this test. So always use a, you know, always have a positive mindset for this test. I think a lot of times it can be really hard to be positive. It's a hard test and there's a lot of roadblocks that might come in the way, but you are very successful just for completing grad school and getting to the stage where you're ready to test. I tell people, some people never get the confidence to even sit to take this exam. So like just taking the step to be able to take this important move in your career, that's a success right there. Third, don't give this test the power to define you. This is the biggest thing I can tell people. This test does not define your worth as a social worker. Whether you pass or not, it's not going to change what type of social worker you are. 
it this test will tell you how you studied for the test, how prepared you were they attest, how your test taking strategies were, and how you can apply knowledge. It does not define your day-to-day work as a social worker. So don't let this test have power over you. At the end of the day, all that it is is a test. And I think that can be really hard is not letting it define you Um, because it can feel like really defeating. Um, But remember, it's just a test. And some people are better at test taking than others. Um, Like I said, it's testing your effectiveness of studying and ability to break down and apply knowledge. Um, The fourth step, visualize completing the test successfully despite your anxiety. So you want to picture yourself being successful on test day. Um, you have put in the hard work for this. So now like leading up to test day, it's important that you play those moments in your head. So you also want to play out what test day is going to look like, right? Starting from when you wake up, the more you can plan out in your head of what test day is going to look like. So what you're going to wake up, you're going to eat breakfast, you're going to drive to the site when that will give you some comfort and predictability. That's going to help ease your anxiety on test day. It's going to help manage your anxiety. So you want to visualize what that day is going to look like. This is a very, very, very powerful tool. So you're going to envision test day. I would say even from the night before, getting that good night's rest, waking up, what you're going to do step by step, going into the testing center and testing. The fifth step, remind yourself that a certain level of anxiety is actually helpful, right? Like anything that we care about is anxiety producing. That's why anxiety comes. So anxiety, yes, it can be debilitating, but it also is important. It shows to us that things are important and you can actually just work on techniques to perform your best. Um, So this might be those mindfulness things. That might be that self-check. How am I feeling in my body? This might be using those mantras. For me, I used a lot of self-mantras. Like, I can do this. I'm prepared. You put in the work. Kind of reminding myself, don't let this test take control of your thinking. So some level of anxiety is helpful. And also rate your anxiety. So if you're on a 10 out of 10 anxiety-wise, you're not going to be performing your best. But maybe if you can get it down to like a, a two or a three or a four, you're going to be able to think, concentrate, and execute a lot better. So also always be thinking, you know, a 10 out of 10 anxiety, you're not going to be performing your best. Some level of anxiety is okay. So get yourself to that level where you are okay and focused. Six, give yourself practice tests and use them as a tool. So you're going to use this to work on your test-taking skills and strategies, but also on controlling anxiety level. As you know, if you have ever taken any study groups with me or been in past study groups, I always, always, always encourage that ASWB practice exam. Why is this? Because you will get used to the software. It is four hours. It is timed. It's going to mirror at least the process of test-taking as close as possible. Also, I like to call the practice test as a run-through. It really, you should take it very seriously um, because it's like a dress rehearsal. It, and I tell people when you're taking the practice exam, start to, to talk to your body. So when did you start to notice that your mind started to wander? What was your anxiety level as you were taking this practice exam? Write these things down because this can be really useful information to help you prepare for the actual test day. So 
working through these practice situations are only going to help you practice, 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 practice. Um, I know very few people that have gone into this exam cold and passed. So um, use your study sessions and use that practice exam or anytime you sit down to take practice questions as a way to evaluate how your body's feeling, how your mind's feeling. Um, if time is a worry to you, you do get four hours for this exam. Um, you may get extra if you have accommodations, um, but you don't want to run out of time. So the practice test also helps you know how you're doing time-wise. I would feel horribly if um, I did not tell you that you know you need to practice time and you end up running out of time and not passing for that. So make sure you time yourself. Do timed practice questions um, to see you know what areas are you spending you know, more time on practice questions in which do you have down pat and you can get through faster. Time is important here as well. And you also don't want to go too fast. There's a lot of people I know that go very, very, very fast. You have the four hours, so utilize it to whatever you need. You wouldn't want to finish in an hour. You, you rushed through and then you're out of there and you're looking back thinking, I wish I slowed down. Also remember anxiety and adrenaline is higher on test day. So you want to read through questions twice. You want to go a little bit more slowly so that your brain can have the time to process and produce um, those thinking techniques. Seven, get a good night's sleep. Of course, I don't, I always tell people this sleep is so important, but also get good sleep for a few days leading up to the exam. This is why it's not encouraged to cram because if you're cramming, you're usually not getting good sleep leading up to the exam. So you definitely want to get a solid sleep the night before. Just know you're probably going to have like a hard time falling asleep. For some people, um, you might feel a little bit anxious. That's normal, but try and get in a good nighttime routine a few days before the exam because um, that will help you. Think of how athletes, you know, leading up to game day, they get in the zone like a week before. So you want to have that mentality. Um, for some people, working out helps them sleep better, doing some sort of physical activity. So maybe taking a walk or something to kind of relax your body. Um, but you want to make sure you get a solid night's sleep. Um, and this says here, and it's so true. If you already know you have trouble sleeping or have sleep challenges, please talk to your doctor. They'll be able to help you. We need sleep. We need good sleep. It, it's what helps, um, our brains function at the highest level. Um, lastly, high anxiety can increase the impact of caffeine. So know that you're going to be pretty anxious and caffeine can make people even more anxious. So if you need to, um, on those days leading up to the exam, check your caffeine intake. You don't want to get into the exam. You're just fueled by caffeine and you're not able, you're so jittery, you're not able to concentrate. So if you are um, a caffeine person, just make sure you know how that affects your body and what that's going to look like for test day. This is not on here, but I always mention it. You need to eat. You cannot go go into this with an empty stomach. Um, it's four hours, right? So like usually a snack or a meal time comes within four hours. So make sure that you are um, have a proper meal in your stomach. Um, I've heard people actually having their blood sugar go out of whack, and it, it's really hard to concentrate and get through the test that way. So um, make sure you eat properly. Um, Force yourself to have even a little snack, even if you're so anxious, you have like a stomach ache or something like that. But having something in your stomach is definitely going to help. So those are how to curb anxiety and how to be mindful of anxiety and how to use anxiety um, to better your performance on the exam. That's just one part, anxiety. 
Another thing I constantly hear from people, and this happened to me as well, how do I stay motivated? How do you stay motivated? It's really hard to push through this and stay motivated up until test day. This exam, studying for it, is a journey, and it can be exhausting. It is. I, it can be physically exhausting. It can be mentally exhausting. Um, so for some people, it's really hard to stay motivated and keep that motivation up until test day. Um, but you got to find the stamina and dig deep to push forward to that finish line. That there's always an end in sight, and that's taking that test, right? You work, 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 work really hard. You're studying. Just have in mind that there is a finish line for this. People also say that leading up to the exam, they're they're feeling like they're losing motivation the closer and closer and closer it gets. That's probably due to study burnout. So that probably means that, you know, you've been studying so hard, you're starting to feel burnt out. So make sure you're being very mindful of self-care, giving yourselves breaks as you need to, and just being mindful um, of when you need to, to take a pause on the study. So here I have six tips on how to stay motivated as you are approaching test day and how to refine motivation if you've maybe lost that motivation to study. My first tip is every day is a new day. Every day you sit down to study, that's a fresh start. It's a fresh slate. So do not dwell too much on past failures or obstacles. So maybe you took three days off and you didn't get as much studying as you, you wanted to. Don't dwell on that. The past is the past. Today is a new day to start fresh and to start back on the studying journey. Use those obstacles that you might have had. So maybe you had a rough three days and you didn't study as much as you wanted to. Reflect on that. Why didn't I study as much as I wanted to? Was life getting in the way? Life happens. Um, so was life getting in the way? Was it motivation? Use these obstacles to dig deeper to find out you know, your why and push harder as you get towards test day. So use these obstacles to reassess and come up with a new plan and start fresh. So every day is a new day. Every day is a new chance to study. You learn something new. My second one I hear, have here is treat yourself. And that sounds pretty silly, like when you're thinking about studying, but it's important. So maybe after you've had like a really long study session or you've studied like many days in a row, you've kept your studying schedule reward yourself maybe and what i mean by reward yourself treat yourself this could be like maybe you give yourself the opportunity to watch a show on netflix you've been wanting to, to binge or for me it was watching like really bad rom-coms i love those movies and like after i would it was something to look forward to i'm going to study this section and then i'm going to go watch this movie or maybe um rewarding yourself is calling a friend or going, you know, for a walk with a friend. Obviously, we're a very little limited now that we're in a pandemic, but find fun, creative ways to treat yourself. Maybe it's making a meal. Maybe, you know, you haven't been cooking. You've been putting that aside. So finding some ways you can reward yourself for your hard work with your studying. This one's huge and it can be really um, effective and impactful is write down your why. Why do you want to pass this exam? So you want to think about that and you want to think about why am I doing this? Why am I putting in the hard work? Everyone has their own why. For some people, it might be because it's going to open more career opportunities. For some people, it might be to um, keep employment. Know your why and write it down. Write down your why. For some people, it's because you want to, you know, prove to yourself that you can do this or prove to your family or be your best self. 
I would like what I say with writing down your why is write it down maybe on a sticky or in a study notebook and keep that close to you at all times when you study. It is a great motivator when you go to sit down to study and you see that why. Why this is going to open doors for me or I want to open my own private practice someday or I want to better my positioning in my career. Sitting down and seeing that will help you push through. Um, it's a constant reminder that we can do this and why we're doing this. So write down your why. I think that can be super, super impactful. I had it on a sticky and put it on my computer. And, you know, sometimes when I was not motivated, that gave me the extra push that I needed. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Four, find an accountability partner. And um, this can be a variety of different ways you can find an accountability partner. So you can either find a study buddy. Um, maybe you have a colleague or someone in a Facebook group that you're going to connect with um, that you can check in with regularly and help motivate you. So you can ask them how they're doing in their study process. You can bounce ideas off of each other. For some people, that's not doable, right? Like may I, when I was studying, I did not know anyone else studying to take the exam. Um, these awesome Facebook groups did not exist. Um, so my accountability partner was my husband. Your accountability partner does not necessarily have to be someone um, that is a social worker. It can just be someone that's going to be a support to you. So your accountability partner can be someone that you know is going to support you and push you. Um, this person is going to keep you on track. So this could be, it could even be a friend, a family member, spouse, coworker, a variety of different people, but someone that you can check in with, you know, they can say, how's your studying going? How's your, pro your, your progress going? And when you are able to talk to someone about that, they can hold you accountable and you can hold yourself accountable. So if you can find an accountability partner, do so for me, like I said, it was my husband on those days. I really didn't want to study. He would be like, okay, you know, you have to push through this, you have to do it. And he would tell me you can do it. He knew I could. So find someone that's going to support you, encourage you and be your cheerleader. My fifth tip for staying motivated is change it up. Our brains work in very interesting ways. And a lot of times we need routine, but sometimes we need a change from that routine. So sometimes we need to change it up to keep our brains interested and engaged. So what changing it up can mean, it can mean changing any part of your studying. Um, what this means, it might mean that you go and study in a different room. Maybe you're sitting by the window instead of at a desk. Um, maybe you're, you are going to try a different time, right? Maybe you were studying right after work, but you real, you're realizing that's not a good time for you. Maybe you're going to try weekends, change something up. Um, maybe you're going to try a different modality, like to add in another modality. So maybe you've never tried YouTube videos and you're going to give you you know, a couple YouTube videos to try. Maybe you're going to try reading in a book for a little bit. Try to see if something else, changing something will keep your brain interested. Um, it, it's just important to try different things. Um, you never know until you try, right? Then there's some people that try and it doesn't work and that's okay. Um, but it just keeps us on our toes and it keeps our brains active and engaged. So change things up, even if it's something very small, such as time of day that you're studying. Um, it's important to keep our brains interested. 
So I know you've heard about work-life balance. So my next tip is what I call study-life balance. Um, because studying can sometimes feel like a full-time job. But remember, you still should maintain a balance between your studying and your life. You do have a life outside of studying, so make sure that you remember that. And that can be hard. You feel like your head's down, you're just go, 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 go to this exam. But at the end of the day, we still have other responsibilities and other things in our life that are important. Are important. So make sure you're prioritizing what you need to prioritize, you know, your safety, your health, your family, um, and balance that with the demands of studying. You don't want to miss out on really important things in your life because you you threw everything into studying. So find a balance. And even if that means like taking a little bit of of time, you know, like I said, for that self-care, just find a balance. But if you've noticed that life is completely dominating your, you know, outside life, maybe it's now is not the best time to, to proceed with studying. Or if studying's completely taking over your life to the point where you don't have, you know, time for those other obligations, try and find a balance. And for some people, they have to postpone the exam because life gets in the way. Um, so just know what's right for you and find that balance so that you can maintain a life outside of studying. Those are my six tips um, for trying to stay motivated. Find what works for you, and it can be hard. For me, the most powerful of all of these was writing down my why and finding an accountability partner. You might find different things help you. Motivation can be hard. So dig deep. Find what motivates you. Get back on the train every day um, and, and just be confident in, in what you do do. So there's lots of people you spend so much time studying. Be confident and proud of yourself for those small successes or big successes that you have had throughout your studying journey. Okay. Now we are going to jump into our practice questions. We have three today, and I will tell you these are retired ASWB questions. So very similar wording to what you will see on the exam. I'll read it through. I'm going to highlight important parts that I think are important. I'm going to eliminate and we will talk through them. Number one, a social worker is working with a young child who is a victim of sexual abuse. The social worker has been using play therapy techniques for several sessions, but the child is becoming more aggressive and continues to exhibit disturbing behaviors such as bedwetting and masturbation. The child's foster parents feel that the child is not making progress in therapy and have asked the foster care worker to assign a new social worker. What should the social worker do first? So I'm going to give you a moment to just read that through. And we can start to pull apart information we think is important. So our client here is a young child, a minor. Remember, age always matters. And this is a minor who has experienced sexual abuse. When you see that, you should be thinking, what are some of the things I might see with a client who's experienced sexual abuse? So keep that in your mind. What are some signs of sexual abuse? What are some behaviors associated with sexual abuse? You are using play therapy and duration, a few sessions, several sessions. Presenting problem, the child is becoming more aggressive, so we're seeing an increase in some behaviors. Um, bedwetting and masturbating. 
those are common. I want you to think when you see that, like, is this out of the ordinary for a child that's been sexually abused? These are common behaviors that a child would be experiencing um, after sexual abuse. The child is in foster care because they have foster parents. It's important to know. The foster parents feel that the child's not making progress. They want a new social worker. And then this is a first question. What should the social worker do first? So remember when you get a first question, you want to kind of order the answers in your head. So what would I do first? What would I do next? There are going to probably be a few things that you might do at some point, but you need to think what is the starting point given the information that I have. Our answer choices. Tell the foster care worker the child is making progress as quickly as can be expected. Transfer the child to someone who specialized in child cognitive behavioral therapy. Encourage the child to talk freely about feelings and the details of the sexual abuse. Or D, educate the foster parents about the effects of child sexual abuse. Remember, this is a first question. So what we'll do is we're going to start to eliminate things. Um, the first thing that we would eliminate, I would say, is B, transfer the child to someone who specialized in child cognitive behavioral therapy. There's nothing that would suggest we need to change the modality. Play therapy is a very fine modality and very common modality to use with children, especially those ha that have experienced any sort of abuse or neglect. So I would take out B, and we're not just going to all of a sudden change courses to cognitive behavior therapy. There's nothing that states that that's needed in the question stem. A, tell the foster care worker the child is making progress as quickly as can be expected. We don't know if the child is making progress as quickly as can be expected. That's just a very vague and kind of leaves a lot of room for questioning there um, because there's nothing here that shows that, you know, what would be appropriate or what would be expected and what the progress the child's making. So I would eliminate A. That leaves us with C, encourage the child to talk freely about feelings and the details of sexual abuse. And D, educate the foster parents about the effects of child sexual abuse. You always want to ask yourself, what is this question asking? This question is asking what the social worker should do first, given that the foster care parents feel the child's not making progress and have asked for a new social worker. C is out. Encourage the child to talk freely about feelings and the details of sexual abuse. That does not get to our problem of the foster care parents feeling like this child's not making progress due to escalating behaviors. So C would be out. That's not the first thing we would do. We're not focusing on our sessions right now. We're focusing on what we would first do with this family, which would be D, educate the foster parents about the effects of child sexual abuse. It sounds like they may have unreal, unrealistic expectations of how fast this child might start progressing in play therapy. And the bedwetting, aggressive behavior, and masturbation is common. And the way therapy works, especially with abuse and trauma, is that it takes time and sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. So we want to just let the foster parents know what can be expected, what are some signs and symptoms and behaviors associated with child sexual abuse, and let them know this is um, something that is, is common of child sexual abuse. So D is the correct answer. Number two. A social worker meets with a 75-year-old client whose wife died six months ago. 
In the intake interview, the client reports losing weight, having very little energy, and having difficulty getting motivated to do things. What should the social worker do first? So go ahead and read this. Okay, age, 75-year-old client. Age usually matters, so we need to be thinking this is an adult client that is um, more in that elderly category, 75 years old. Important in life event, wife died six months ago. Usually a big change for someone. How long have we known this client? This is an intake. We are very early on in the beginning phases of treatment. Client has lost weight. Red flag. Has very little energy. Red flag. And has difficulty getting motivated. These are all potential risk factors for suicide. I just want that to be stated because there's a life event that's changed and then we have the weight loss, no energy, and difficulty with motivation. What should the social worker do first? And remember, first, there might be other things we do at some point, but what's going to be the very first thing we do? Okay, let's read our answered choices. A, complete a suicide risk assessment of the client. D, explore available family and community resources. C, suggest that the client schedule an appointment with a doctor. Or D, refer the client to a local bereavement group. Think in your head what steps would you do? What would you do first, second, third, or fourth? Things that would come later on in the process, we can start to eliminate. I would first eliminate D, refer the client to a local bereavement group. We are not, this person's here for an initial appointment. We're just engaging with the client. We're not going to go ahead first and refer them to a bereavement group. That may come down the line, but it's not appropriate now. Explore available family and community resources. We will also want to do that later down the line, but it's not the first thing we're going to do until we address safety and some of those red flag behaviors that we've seen which leads us to A, complete a suicide risk assessment of the client, or C, suggest the client schedule an appointment with the doctor. Remember, we're with the client right now. What are we going to do first? There are signs here that we need to just assess for suicide. So suggest that the client schedule an appointment with the doctor. We are definitely going to want them to do that as well because there's some medical things. But that's not what we're going to do first. That's the next thing we would do. That's the second thing we would do. The very first thing we need to do is complete a suicide risk assessment. Because what if the client does have a plan and does want to carry through with suicide? That's going to trump everything safety first. Um, we need to ourselves um, assess for risk and then from there determine what we're going to do. We're going to want to do B, C, and D at some point. But the very first step we have to do because of those red flag um, things that were stated, the losing weight, little energy, difficulty getting motivated, um, and that life event, we need to do a risk assessment first. Okay, number three. A social worker who leads a therapy group plans to begin an extended leave. What should the social worker discuss with the group first? So what is our role? We're a social worker, but our setting is group. So we're leading a therapy group. That means more than one person. 
we know we are going to have to go on extended leave. That's going to cause a disruption to the group. This might seem very straightforward, but this actually is a code of ethics question, right? For how we terminate clients, especially when we know ahead of time that we have to terminate. What should the social worker discuss with the group first? So knowing that we have to leave the group for an extended period of time, what's going to be the first thing we talk about with group members? A, arrangements for continuity of the group. B, the group's progress to date. C, options for transferring to other groups. Or D, detailed reasons for the leave. Go ahead and read those real quick and be thinking, are there any you can eliminate? Are there any that could come later on in the process? What I would first eliminate is C, options for transferring to other groups. That's not going to be the very first thing you tell someone when you tell them you're going to need to go on extended leave. You are not going to say, here are your options for transferring, right? You want to try in a group to maintain continuity as much as possible. So C is not at this point what the first thing we're going to do. The group's progress to date. That may be important, but it does not get at the, any, that does not get at the bulk of this question, which is that there's going to need to be a termination um, of the therapeutic relationship because this person has to go on leave. So B is out there. Progress is not really the very first starting point, um, given what we have in the question stem, which leads us to A, arrangements for continuity of the group or D, re detailed reasons for the leave. We don't even have to ever give detailed reasons for why we're leaving. Um, that is just a preference, but that is not something we have to do first. Um, so D is out. Which leads us to A, arrangements for continuity of the group. Why is that important first when you're working with a group? You want to keep the group continuing and functioning as normal as possible. So you'd be discussing what is going to happen to allow that um, so that we don't raise anxiety and we don't make things worse for the group dynamic. Um, we want to let them know that continuity will happen. There's going to whatever arrangements that will be. Maybe a new worker will come in. Um, you know, maybe there is going to be a session where you do it joint with the person that will be taking over. But you want to make sure that group members know that um, you want to let them know that you are trying your best and making your best effort for continuity to exist. Remember, part of termination is um, sometimes it's out of our control. Um, but when we do know that we're going to be out on leave, we want to set our clients up for success as much as possible. So A is the correct answer there.